So last Sunday, we gave you a history lesson of the nation of Israel contained in number 16. And we were running out of time. I was going at rapid speed, trying to cover as much ground as possible. And this morning, we are going to focus our attention on Psalm 42. So I would ask you to please open up your Bibles to Psalm 42. But last week, just to bring you up to speed, it is recorded for us in number 16, an insurrection that took place in the wilderness, in the desert, where influential men were rising against Moses. And the takeaway, we got 10 points, and I know it was an intimidating outline, but there's 10 principles that we could draw from that experience. And we must guard our hearts from jealousy and envy. We must guard our hearts from slandering others. We must guard our hearts from retaliation or seeking revenge. We must guard our hearts from grumbling over God's assigned roles. We must guard our hearts from denouncing God's provision. We must guard our hearts from worshiping as we see fit, uprising or usurping rather established authority. We should guard our hearts from becoming hard towards rebels. We should guard our hearts from choosing relationships over God. And lastly, last week we took away that we should guard our hearts from ignoring God's warning. We did not complete all of number 16, but I'm just gonna give you the ending of that chapter if you didn't already read along to see how it all culminates. But after the earth opens up and swallows these insurgents, these rebels, you would think that that would be enough to change the hearts of the people. But if you read it to the end, you will discover that less than 24 hours later, the nation uprises and revolts against Moses. Now they're blaming him for the death of these wicked men. Kind of gives us a snapshot of the human heart. We're constantly resisting God. Now this morning, the descendants of Korah wrote several psalms, 11 or 12 of them could be debated. And this morning we're going to be looking at Psalm 42. Now as we begin, I'm going to ask you a few questions and I want you to answer internally. You don't have to answer out loud, I want you to answer internally, but please play, uh, pay close attention. And it has to do with your feelings, your disposition. And I'm going to ask you the following, so please answer accurately, but answer in your heart. Have you personally ever dealt with unhappiness, anxiety, discouragement, sadness, sorrow, the feeling of doom and grief? Have you ever been heavy-hearted? Have you been disappointed? Have you been dissatisfied? Have you experienced humiliation, dejection, a sense of gloom, disillusionment? Have you been demoralized? Have you ever felt despair? And I know that if you are anything like me, the answer is going to be yes to at least one of them, if not all of them. So as we look at Psalm 42, I have to highlight that the sons of Korah were dealing with discouragement, 
So if you answered yes to any of those words, or those descriptors that I just asked, I'm gonna ask you to please stand. We're all gonna stand anyways, because we're gonna stand and read God's word together. So I trust that if you have a pulse this morning, you have felt at least one of these. Now I want, this is the encouragement for you and I, that this song has been dubbed the song of the suffering. The song of the suffering. Now please consider the following, that this song was written by the discouraged, which were the sons of Korah, for the discouraged, which could possibly be you and I. Written by the discouraged, for the discouraged. Having said that, please read along with me, Psalm 42. I'll be reading out of the ESV. I'm not sure it's going to be up here on the screen, but it's there on your outline. And it says the following. To the choir master, a mascal of the sons of Korah, as a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with loud shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. My soul is cast down within me, therefore I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon from Mount Mazar. Deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. By day the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night his song is with me. A prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taught me, while they say to me all day long, where is your God? Verse 11, why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Please pray with me. Father, as we look at Psalm 42, the song of the suffering, Lord, I pray that our faith would be stirred, that we would find our hope in your faithful character, that the work of Jesus Christ would be highlighted this morning in our hearts, and that we would rejoice that we serve a living God, a God that knows us intimately. This we pray in your son's name. Amen. Please have a seat. Last week we started off just covering the superscript, which was to the choir master and masco, the sons of Korah. So I'm going to briefly review that with us. But I want you to consider this, that the sons of Korah are not named individually. 
but they are all collected into, or they're all identified collectively as the sons of Korah, a group. Now, given last week's study, there is a reason, a probable reason why this is the case. You see, their father, Korah, longed for recognition. He longed for that prominent position, that high visibility, status, admiration. And it is possible that the sons of Korah refused to seek that individual praise, recognition, or position. They were satisfied simply with being called the sons of Korah. And this is what they write, as a deer pants for flowing stream, so pants my soul for you, O God. Notice how this song starts off with providing us an imagery of the Judean hills describing wildlife. A deer in need and desperately searching high and low for flowing streams of living water. So please capture this imagery, this deer panting, breathing quickly with short breaths, perhaps with an open mouth, because it has been doing strenuous activity, activity that come with living in wild terrain. Or perhaps this deer is panting and searching for water because it's a very hot day. Now, as you consider this imagery, Please acknowledge that the sons of Korah say that it is their soul that is panting and desperately desiring after God. I started off our study asking if you had felt any of these words that describe sadness and discouragement. So this morning, this song is teaching us when we're dealing with discouragement, point number one in your outline. We must acknowledge our need for God. Saint, acknowledge your need for God. Keep in mind that this is a maskil. Let me refresh your memory. A maskil is an enlightened or a wise saying. It's a saying that imparts wisdom. This is a song that is enforcing a lesson for those that are suffering. This maskil, if we look at it, technically could also be a musical notation that is telling us to reflect on these truths a lot slower, to meditate on these truths. Now, I want you to meditate on these opening words. And in light of this psalm, and as Daniel prayed earlier during this Christmas season, what do we desire? What do we desire? Take a few moments, this you can write down for personal reflection. Take a few moments and desire. What do, write down, what do I desire? As you're sitting there thinking, allow me to give you some suggestions that I think you're probably desiring after. If you're single, you're probably desiring a spouse, right? might be desiring a husband or a wife. If you're married, wives are probably desiring a perfect husband. Can I hear an amen? No one wants to admit it. What does he look like? A man that leads perfectly in every area in life. Theologically sound, a hard worker. A man that is always present at the home. 
A man that serves in the church, financially responsible, trustworthy. Men, husband, you're probably desiring a perfect wife, if you will. Submissive, smart, smart, encourager, thoughtful, reserved, sacrificial, meeting every single need of yours and of your families. Parents, you're probably desiring obedient children. You don't have to say it, I can see it in your face. Perfectly catechized children, athletic, straight A students, humble. Children, I know what you're thinking. I desire parents that impose zero responsibilities or restrictions on me. Some of you might be thinking about your body and its decay and you're dealing with that as you age and some of us might be longing for that perfect body. Low body fat, if you will. Those six pack abs. Lean muscle, flexibility. Or maybe you're beyond that superficial and you probably want a bigger, better home, a different career, a different job, a nicer boss, how about that one? A little bit more money, vacation, comfort, and the list goes on and on, good health, affirmation, approval of others, acceptance of others, popularity, influence, power. Or some of you might just be desiring of the good old days. You know what I'm talking about. When life used to be simple, back when I was single, back when I was young, when I was still living at home. Some of you might be desiring to accomplish an ideological or a political agenda. But know that whatever you wrote down, notice how sadly, for most of us, God was not on that list. Verse 1 says, As a deer pants for flowing stream, so pants my soul for you, O God. You see that the word soul is a Hebrew expression that describes the will, the emotion, our innermost desires. A Hebrew word, nefesh, means the inner, the living being of a man. What makes a man or a woman a man or a woman? Their feelings, their emotions, their desires. So it speaks of the very essence of that unique person, who we are truly. So the sons of Kor are asking, as, or they're stating, as a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. You see, they desire God in his presence. They desire God and communing with God. Though they were battling with discouragement, they knew what their heart was really prone to pursue, and they write it for us. Their heart was prone to pursue Yahweh as he intervened for them. So think about it again, the deer breathing quickly, spasmatically in a labored manner, moving and throbbing, rising of the chest, longing, eagerly yearning for some living water. Now the sons of Korah, they had experienced God's deliverance. They had experienced God's mercy and compassion and forbearance. In case you forgot, remember their family history. This is approximately three to 400 years after the earth swallowing up their father and now in history, three to four hundred years later, the sons of Korah possibly were remembering their family history, how God had delivered them, 
had rescued and ransomed these rebels, showed compassion towards them. Yet, at this moment in life, they were discouraged. Through it all, their discouragement, they desired God. And they desired God just as water is necessary to sustain life. These are encouraging and heartfelt words for you and I. Again, the sons of Korah were the ransom revolters, those rescued rebels that had experienced leniency from God. Look at verse 2. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? Point number two, when dealing with discouragement, spend time with God. Look at it closely and look at it slow with me. When you're dealing with discouragement, we have to spend time with God. You see, the sons of Korah, they desire the living God. They long to be before the living God. Notice how it doesn't say, I'm longing for our, my tradition. I'm longing for my ceremonies, my rituals, my religious observances. I'm longing for my friends or my families. But they were longing for the living God. And that is quite noteworthy. You see, most of us are okay with the idea of God. I would say that the majority of people are okay with the idea of God. Why is that? Because most of us will fashion a God according to our own liking. You see, most often we will conceive a God that accepts all, never condemns, a God that loves all, and is nothing more but than a divine butler. But scripture tells us that our God is a different God. He's not a dead God. He is rather, he is a living God, the one true God. And we have to approach him as he has already prescribed. See, the sons of Korah were desperate for God. They were desperate for the living God. And this is so good for us. But oftentimes when life is good, we don't seek after God. Would you agree with me? When you have money in the bank, plenty of health, Things are going your way. Sadly, for most of us, we don't acknowledge God. We don't think, for God, think of God. We don't seek after God. When life is in abundance, there's strength, there's prosperity, there's youth. We seldom think about God, let alone do we desperately desire Him. I've used this illustration before, but I thought it would be fitting to use it again. In the year 2011, I ran the Los Angeles Marathon. Don't ask me why, but I did. 26.2 miles of torture. Now that year, it was pouring rain. Now during my experience, I was weary, I was tired, I was exhausted. Thirst like I've never experienced in my life. Dry mouth, chapped lips, muscle cramps, spasms, and after several hours of running in the rain, I had deprived my body of comfort. I had deprived my body of rest, water, and food. You see, during this marathon, I was desperately running to the next watering station, which was about half a mile apart. And internally, I knew I couldn't go any further, but that next station was what kept me going. That next water station will sustain me to the other half mile, to the remainder of this race. And by God's grace, I was able to uh, complete this marathon. But this marathon revealed something about myself. 
As I'm running, I can see the final stretch. I can see the finish line and the people cheering along the way. I ran, I crossed the finish line. And back then my bride was waiting for me with my little one next to her, Delani, pregnant with my second daughter. And as I crossed the finish line, my wife has a great encouragement to me, opened up her arms and she came to give me a hug because I accomplished running this marathon. But keep in mind that at that moment, I could not see her loving care for me. And as she came in to give me a hug, she was met with a stiff arm. And I said, not right now, because I'm about to die. Insensitive. <laughs> you see, saints, this marathon showed me that when I'm tired, when I'm weak, when I'm exhausted, when I'm depleted, I put my needs before my family's needs. I become insensitive, unable to read the room. I, I become caught up with me, needing all the attention for me, all the support for me, all the care and the consideration for me. You see, back to that infamous day, I had a singular focus, and it was, Danny is tired. And that's all that mattered. So years later, I was sharing this truth with my bride. I was telling her, honey, do you remember that day? And of course, you know she won't ever forget that. And I was telling her, listen, this marathon really brought out who I really am. It really highlighted who I am without God's grace and all the comforts that are propping me up and holding me up. And as I'm here sharing my heart, my bride turns to me and she looks at me and she goes, oh honey, I could have told you that without having to pay that registration fee or without you having to train for several months and subjecting your body to 26.2 miles or most importantly, without having me standing here in the rain for four, and a half, four hours and 52 minutes. I could have told you that you're selfish and insensitive. You see, the sons of Korah had a singular focus. They felt urgency. They, desperate, they were desperate longing for the living God. Look at verse 2, my soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? Now, as you read that, we cannot say conclusively what was going on in their life. But they were grappling, they were wrestling, they were dealing with discouragement. And it appears that they felt in a very real sense that God was absent in their life. They felt that God was no longer near to them. Now again, the text doesn't tell us why. Some of you might ask me, but what was going on? What was the, the history behind it? Let me tell you right now, I don't know. The text does not tell us. We are uncertain, but what we do know is that they felt that God was not there. Something was preventing them from appearing before God. Now, as good Bible students, we know that God is everywhere. But in this psalm, it appeared that something was happening in their life, that they were unable to appear before God. They, something was hindering them from worshiping publicly. Something was obstructing them to appear before God. And this was robbing their joy. This was discouraging them to the core. This is probably why they were unhappy or feeling discouraged. It was affecting their feelings, their emotions. You see, saints, I know that we might identify with this. Some of us might be discouraged at the moment. 
And I know it's difficult to even wake up in the morning. Look at what it says. My soul thirsts for God, the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? As they're discouraged, they're asking the question, when can I go and worship? Now that's difficult. I'll admit it. When you have no energy. But we find that the sons of Korah are saying, I want to go to the house of God. I want to gather with the saints. I want to go and worship. I know that is difficult. And I would even say that that is the opposite of what we would want to do when we're discouraged. So you might be sitting here saying, help me out, Danny. How do I practically do this when I have no desire to go to church? I have no desire to respond positively to scripture. I have nothing in me. I have nothing further to give. How, how do I come to church or how do I commune with God? Let me give you a some suggestions. Start praying. And I know it's difficult. Just cry out to God. God, I desperately need you right now. Here's another one. Sing a hymn. Sing songs that will stir your emotions and your faith to God. Here's another one. Read testimonies of faithful saints who have dealt with discouragement and how the Lord has sustained them. Here's another one. Start memorizing scripture. Or, let me take it a step further. Start memorizing Psalm 42. Remember, this is a song for the suffering. Look at verse 3 with me. My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? Look at the severity of their situation. Not only was something hindering them from coming to publicly worship with the nation of Israel, something was in the way, not allowing them to come to the house of God, but now they were discouraged to the point that their appetite was gone. They had no desire to eat, no desire to drink. They had no energy to even accomplish these tasks. All they were able to do is weep, cry, and the text says that they were tasting their own tears. And that was their substance for them. So the sons of Korah were possibly now asking, what is the point of all this? Look at, look at the text. What does it say? My tears have been my food day and, and night, while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? Not only are they discouraged, not only are they sad, not only are they crying, not only are they skipping meals because they are so discouraged. Now some around them are asking them a question, where is your God? Now this question, where is your God, is a question meant to ridicule them, antagonize them. And I know you've been there, feeling alone, discouraged, possibly numb, having no feelings, maybe dealing with sorrow, discouragement, defeat and rather than having others around you telling you where is your God you're probably asking that to yourself why God why am I feeling this where are you at this very moment why am I so discouraged where is my God why am I feeling this you see the sons of Korah were feeling the same thing saints which encourages my heart to know that we are never left alone in whatever valley we may find ourselves in Look at verse, verse 4 with me. 
These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with God shouts of songs of praise, a multitude keeping festival. Point number three, if you're still with me, when you're dealing with discouragement, we have to examine our thought life. Examine your thought life. These things I remember, the text, the text is pretty clear. The sons of Korah were remembering a particular event, a particular season in life. And this in return was possibly causing them discouragement. It was causing them to go on a downward spiral. It says that they were poured out their soul. They were, they were dissolving, if you will. They felt weak, diluted, as they remembered the better days. They were probably focusing on mountaintop experiences, as I often call them, when there's triumph, when there's victory, when everything is going our way. Now, the sons of Korah, in particular in the text, it says that they were remembering uh, those mountaintop experiences, those ministry opportunities that they had to lead the nation of Israel in congregational or in national singing, corporate praise. They were focusing on those spiritual victories. Look at it again. These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise and multitude-keeping festival. You see, they were there with the crowd. They were not only there with the crowd, they were leading the procession. What were they doing? They were in the house of God, leading with glad shouts of songs of praise. So they were successfully leading others to the joyful praise of Yahweh. A multitude-keeping festival. So they were remembering the days to be celebrated and commemorated. This was the highlights of that particular season, and the sons of Korah were distraught at the mocking and the oppression of the enemies. However, at that very moment, they were no longer able to lead others because of circumstances that were out of their control. I want you to think about this, saints. I know you've been there. I've been there. I miss a Sunday gathering, and I feel discouraged. I fail to read my Bible every morning, and I feel defeated. I miss a community group, midweek community group, and I feel withdrawn. That's just me but I trust that you've also been there, feeling discouraged, feeling alone. Now look at the sons of Korah and feel, please identify with their sentiment. They felt that something was robbing them from ministry opportunities. Maybe you're in a season in life where you're no longer able to serve in a particular ministry. And you're sitting there reminiscing about the past ministry successes or perhaps an illness has pulled you away from church life or ministry life. Or maybe you're in a season in life that changes have been so drastic that they have rocked your world, turning it upside down. Let me give you some examples. Possibly the death of a loved one, death of your aging parents, death of a spouse, death of a child, the loss of employment, the new employment demands, and all of these have, are pulling you away from the gathering of the saints. Or how about this one? A forced early retirement. Maybe downsizing. 
or this one, a scary medical diagnosis. Older saints, empty nesters. You're probably discouraged and downcast because you think of the good old days when you, your kids were little, all at home, when life was a lot easier. Or perhaps this, you have been the victim of slander and ridicule. Or perhaps you've been the victim of a horrible sin committed against you. And then you find yourself frequently thinking about that sin, that slander, not by choice, but that is a default position of your thoughts, taking you, leaving you downcast, discouraged, thinking about painful memories. But look at verse 5 again with me. Why are you cast down on my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation. Verse 6, and my God, my soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon from Mount Mazar. Point number four, when you're dealing with discouragement, remember past deliverance. Remember his past deliverance. Please listen to the, the wisdom contained in this psalm. Don't listen to me. Listen to the wisdom contained in Psalm 42. Remember, this is a mascal. This is a wisdom saying. This is a proverb. Again, I know it's easy for you to discredit the messenger, myself, by finding anything that you might not like about me. Pl trust me, there is plenty. But please listen to God. You see, dur during this trying and an emotional roller coaster, the sons of Korah ask themselves, why am I downcast? And why is there internal turmoil? And look at the solution they provide there in the text. What is it? What does it say? You could read it out loud. After they ask that question, the answer is hope in God. Put your trust in God, saints. Put your hope in God. Remember, this song begins with the choir master. So what they're saying is put your hope to the giver of victory. Put your hope to the eternal one, the one who is able to rescue, the one who is, in their case, spare them from wrath. And in your case, if you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you too have been spared from the wrath of God. The one who's shown kindness to them by not eradicating them or the descendants of Korah completely, but preserving them to be able to lead others in the corporate singing. Now think about this. Their father, Korah, served, led the nation in a revolt. And 400, later, 400 years later, the sons of Korah are leading the nation in the praise of Yahweh. Does that encourage you? It should. So, look at what they say. Hope in God, for I shall again praise Him. Look at them. They, they will praise God again. You see, Though they felt discouraged at that very moment, they're looking to the future where they will praise God again. And that should encourage your heart. Put your hope in God when you're discouraged. Think about the future opportunities to praise Him. You see, your discouragement is not permanent. Can I hear an amen to that? Though we treat it as if it were. 
Your discouragement and my discouragement is not permanent. It is seasonal. It is for us to point our eyes or focus our attention in God and God alone. It is an opportunity for us to praise him, though we are weak, trusting that he is strong and that he will sustain us. Look at verse 5 again. Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Look at the word shall. That is a future reality. Notice how they say, I think I will come again, or I might praise God again, but they know that they shall praise God again. Look at verse 6 a bit, a bit, a bit closer. My soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon from Mount Mazar. Look at these specific locations. If you're good with your Bible history, Jordan is, a, is east of Israel. And in Joshua 3, 17, I did not include it in your outline, but you could write this down. The Lord parted the Jordan and allowed the nation of Israel to pass on dry ground. That was a memorable victory for the nation of Israel. That would be Joshua 3.17. Now, as you what does the text say? My soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon from Mount Mazar. So Hermon is a mountain, 9,200 feet tall. That's the place where God has promised blessings to his people. You want, might want to write this down. It also did not make your outline. Psalm 133, 3. So Mount Hermon is a tall mountain, 9,200 feet. The Jordan is a river that God opened miraculously, showing his might and his power to the nation of Israel. These were very historic places where God has shown his mighty hand. And now the sons of Korah are remembering these two places, Hermon and Jordan, monumental victories where God showed himself to be mighty. And then it says the following. I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon from Mount Mazar. Now, Mazar is an unknown location. Mazar means meekness, lowliness, humbleness, or better yet, it means insignificant. Now, scholars have tried to pinpoint it, but Mazar, they, they're unable to determine where it is. Now, the location for you and I, close to 3,000 years removed from this, might be insignificant or not relevant to us. But notice how the sons of Korah point out this location, this low point, a little small hill, low visibility, unrecognizable for you and I, but it had a particular significance to them. So what do we learn from this? That whether you have a mountaintop experience like Mount Hermon that could be seen for miles, or you have small little victories like Mazar, we see God's faithfulness throughout the highs and the lows. Can I hear any men? You see, God isn't going to be able to faithfully sustain you throughout your time of discouragement. Saints, all of us have those mountaintop experiences as we reflect on our salvation. We were vile, wretched sinners, enemies of God, shaking our fists to the heaven, to the throne of God, living life as we saw fit, 
saying in our hearts, no God for me. But the grace of God appear, bringing salvation to all men. Can I hear him into that truth? And the good news of the gospel that we were dead and he quickened our, uh, our hearts. He gave life to dead hearts and we responded to the truth of the gospel. And now we affirm what he affirms. We love what he loves. But then we also have those Nassar moments, little victories that you know which one they are, how God has sustained you, the small little victories in life where you're no, you're no longer grumbling as much. You're no longer defeated as much where you are serving more than you ever did. And everybody has those Nassar moments. Think about it. Where the Lord has grown you in specific areas, small areas that the majority of us will never see him. So that today during lunch, ask your family members, hey, what little victories have you seen? What signs of evidence have you seen? Not the big ones, the small ones. And I trust that that's going to encourage you. Think about those small victories. Those victories that are only known by you. Think about those victories where the Lord has sustained you in the quietness of the night and allow those times, uh, those memories of his sustaining you, those quiet moments that you've had communion with God alone, let those sustain you in this season of discouragement. Look at verse 7. Deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. By day, the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night, his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. Point number five, when you're dealing with discouragement, do not trust your feelings. Do not trust your feelings. Look at what the sons of Korah write. Deep calls to deep. What, he, what they are trying to emphasize is that they are in a very deep, lonely abyss. The lowest of lows, a dark, scary, lonely, cold, lifeless place. And they're saying from abyss to abyss. Now I think now it carries a lot more weight because it was their father who was sent alive to the abyss. And now they're saying deep calls to deep, dark, scary, lonely, cold, lifeless Furthermore, that word uh, deep calls to deep is also providing an imagery for us, a narrow constricting pit. So you, please bear with me. Use your imagination. The sons of Korah are saying that they're in a dark, scary, lonely place, a cold place, a lifeless place, no light, a narrow constricting pit, low light, low oxygen, a sense of panic and urgency. On top of that, the text says that the breakers and waves are crashing over them. That's meant to highlight unrelenting, no relief, no hope, constant pressure, having nowhere to run. Ever felt that? I know you have. But then the text also says that every day the Lord commands his steadfast love. Can I hear an amen? In those dire situations, the Lord commands his steadfast love. So I want you to think about this as you may be experiencing the same feelings that the sons of Korah did even at this moment right now, saints. I want you to practically rejoice over the timing of the study of Psalm 42. Amen? Consider the accuracy. Consider the precision, the clarity, and most importantly, how God, the Holy Spirit, was able to carry these ransom, these rescued rebels, to write about their personal experiences, and at the same time, also describing your current feelings. 
That to me shows God's tender care and his compassion for us. And that's why the Psalms are so rich. Look at verse 8. By day the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. Look, during dreadful experiences, God shows his care and his love for them. He provides a song for them at night, a song to pray, a, a song to the praise leaders, if you will, a song for them to meditate on truth. And that is good news for us. So they say that their God, um, deep calls to deep, and the roar of your waterfall, all your breakers and your waves have gone over me. By day the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. Think about that, the God of my life. As you're dealing with discouragement, oftentimes you might think that that is your life. No energy, no desire. This is where I'm at. This is going to be the end of my days. Misery, suffering, struggling. Yet the sons of Korah who were experiencing discouragement, they say that that was not their life, but rather God is their life. Can I hear an amen? God is their life. That encourages me. God is their life, and their life is not their current mood, their current circumstance. Look at verse 9. Nine. I say to God of my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of, my, uh, of the enemies? Now you would think that at this point, the sons of Korah, as they're thinking about God and they're remembering the song at night and as they're looking at those mountaintop experiences like Hermon and those private victories that God has sustained them like Mazar, at this point you would think that they snap out of it, right? And oftentimes we treat those that are discouraged like, hey, slap them around a bit, give them some truth, and slap out of it, get out of there. Pick yourself up. But you notice that what happens? What do they say? Now they're asking the same questions again. You see, the war in our brains and in our minds and our emotions is a continual one. Though we might be going through seasons of discouragement, we got to acknowledge that this is a continual process. This is not a quick prayer, a one quick song or one quick verse or one quick passage that we're going to read and our life is going to be reconstructed and we will never face discouragement again. That will be a superficial, instant cook means of approaching a bigger problem, which is discouragement. Notice how they felt abandoned. They were mourning over the oppressions of the mockers. Look at verse 10 again. As with deadly wounds in my bones. Interesting that they write bones. See, I've said this before in our a song study. Bones, the bones are the most resilient part of the human body. So the sons of Korah are saying that they are feeling this weightiness even to their bones, even to the most resilient part of their body. They're feeling it to the core. And their adversaries are taunting them and they say continuously, day in and day out, where is your God? They're ridiculing them. They're mocking them. And such is the case, and now they're starting to feel it in their bones. I know all of us have experienced joint pain at one point or another, bone pain at one point or another. It's not pleasant. It's uncomfortable. And furthermore, it's a constant reminder that you're getting old. Can I hear an amen? <laughs> Look at verse 11. Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise in my salvation and my God. Last point, when you're dealing with discouragement, 
Point number six, repeat God's truth to yourself. Repeat God's truth to yourself. We've said this before, repetition is key. It's meant to highlight, teach, ingrain in our thoughts and in our hearts. And the sons of Korah knew this, they were songwriters. So they repeat the chorus for us again. Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. So what does this mean to us? Let me bring this back to reality. As you're temporarily, as you're temporarily in a season of discouragement, possibly, please know that Christ fully understands you. Amen? He fully sympathizes with you. As you're in a season of sorrow, know that in Isaiah 53, that one it did make your outline. It says that he was despised and rejected by man, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Saints, you're not alone. As you feel abandoned, as if no one understands that you're all alone in a dark, constricting pit, lifeless, cold, breakers and waves crashing over you, unrelenting, know that Christ experienced abandonment, abandonment to the fullest. Matthew 27, 46, and about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lema sabachthani, that is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You see, we read that, and it just goes over our head. But let me remind you of the doctrine of the Trinity. When the second person of the Trinity, uh, the Trinity, which is the Lord Jesus Christ, who had never experienced separation from the Father, never had experienced rejection from the Father, never had there been anything between him and his Father at that moment when he took on the sins of his people and he hung on that cross, he sensed that there was a separation that he had never sensed or experienced in eternity past. He truly was cast out so that you and I could be brought near. Can I hear an amen? So as you start believing that you're all alone in a dark, constricting pit, that there is no hope for you, that you're in darkness and the water is drowning you and no one seems to understand, allow me to remind you that the Lord Jesus Christ does understand because he truly experienced the wrath of God in complete isolation, kicked out of the city gates so that you and I could be brought in. It was so stressful that scripture records that he was sweating blood. And presently, though you may feel weak, unable, trust that he will sustain you. He will pour out your mercy, his mercy and his love over you. Saints, we've got to find our hope in the gospel. You know, us who are weak and feeble people, we have a powerful message. Amen? We have a powerful message. Because the gospel is the power of God for salvation, a message that we have to preach to ourselves daily. Romans 1.16, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also the Greek. The, the Greek word for power is the uh, dunamis, where we get the word dynamite. So Paul is saying that the gospel is dynamite, explosive power. And lastly, let me encourage you with the letter to the Corinthians. I know it says 1 Corinthians on your outline, but it's 2 Corinthians. Though this passage, 1 Corinthians 4, 7 through 9 is useful, it won't be useful for us this morning. But rather open your Bibles to 2 Corinthians 4. And this is what Paul writes. 
a man who experienced rejection, discouragement, everybody abandoned him. This is what he writes. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that our surpassing power belongs to who? To God and not to us. Look at the following. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Jump down to verse 16. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Saints, as you and I face discouragement, we just reviewed a mascal that was written for us to examine. The divine author, God, the Holy Spirit, the human author, the sons of Korah, who were a bunch of discouraged rebels who were spared by a loving, merciful, long-suffering God. And as I wrap this up, I want you to turn over to Psalm 43. And I won't teach Psalm 43. But as a note, you might want to write this down. Psalm 42 and 43 are part of one unit. It's a long song. And this is what the sons of Korah write in verse 3 and 5. So how do we address discouragement in our hearts? Look at what they write. Psalm 43, starting in verse 3. Send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling. Dwelling. Then I will go to the altar of God, to the God, uh, to to God my exceeding joy, and I will praise you with the lyre, O God, my God. Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? What is the answer? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. As you're discouraged, remember this song, the song of the suffering, and I pray that as you memorize this, as you read this, it would encourage your heart to trust in the God who never fails. Please pray with me.